Well, good morning. Welcome to Your Real, Your Ideal again. How are you doing, Sandy? You know what? I am great. It is beautiful good. out. Sun is shining. It is good. How are you? Good, good. I went for my walk this morning and took a shower for you. How about that? I know, talking about that, we did a call yesterday and it was like, I was grubby. I think you are fine, but I was like, oh, today I put on my makeup and got all ready, which made me start reflecting on our topic today, which right. is I'll have what she's having because I kept thinking, oh, I need to look good because we're taping today. So I got to do everything. But this all having what you're having or what she's having, this is a quote from the movie Harry, When Harry Met Sally. Mm -hmm. And I actually pulled up the clip this morning to remind myself of all the stuff that happened because I'm like, this is so funny. And um, I'll talk a bit about it and then I'm going to turn it over to Sandy because this topic was her topic, like her title. And I was like, oh my gosh, I love this. So in the clip we have Sally and Harry visiting and they're in a diner and Harry's reflecting about how all the women he's loved uh, are very satisfied, very happy. And Sally is like, well, how do you know? And he was like, well, you know, and so she's like, oh, they have the orgasm. And, and then she's like, they're not faking it. And he was like, no, no, I would know. And then, you know, conversation continues and then she goes full on with the fake <laughs> in the diner okay and harry gets the point that obviously <laughs> it can was, be fake she can do a fake really well she did it really well and then the lady next to her and the booth next to them says i'll have what she's having right so Sandy, why did, why are we talking about this today? You know, the, this clip came back to me and it came as a title. I was actually going to use it as uh, a speaking engagement or a blog. I voice like the title, but where it came from is one thing that happens to me a lot. And I tend to be a really happy person. That's just, if you look at uh, my top strengths, I tend to be, my mom calls me Pollyanna, but on top of that, I've made some life changes and I'm happily married. I, you know, I enjoy the day-to-day -day things in life, but people will say to me often, you know, I want, uh, because I'm happily married, I want, I need a husband just like yours. I need, uh, it, I, I'm not happy, but I would be happy if I had a good relationship. I would be happy if I lived in the mountains and I'm just naming different things. So my right. observation was I would have a lot of people coming to me for advice and what they'd say were things of, I want what you're having. And if I have what you're having, then I'll be happy. And I kept thinking, this is so messed up. You know, it's not, you're not going to, there's not a prince on a horse that's going to show up. And because he shows up, life is great. You know, my marriage takes work. And it, it, it might appear a certain way in that it's always happy, but it's, it's the investment we make in it daily as two people, you know, that make it a great thing. So the perception of if I just have that husband and I'll be happy, or if I just move to somewhere nice, if I had a career change, if I had the courage, I hear that a lot too. If I had your courage and I'd change my career or do what I want, or if I quit my job, if I have this, then I'll be happy. I always had visions. I don't know why this, the lady that said, I'll have what she's having. And I have to talk through people when I mentor them, people that I'm coaching from a professional standpoint mm -hmm. to say, 
it's much more complicated than that. And don't get hung up in having what she's having because it's probably a fake orgasm or you're right. not seeing what's really there. Even the depth of Harry and Sally's relationship, she, she had, you have no idea by surface what happiness is. And then the other side is what, what brings me happiness might not necessarily bring you happiness. And we have different worlds and circumstances that go around that. So unpacking that is the beginning and that title and that situation makes a ton of sense in unpacking it. Most people can laugh and say, okay, I get it. You know, it's what they saw in Sally wasn't the real. Totally. And there's so many times that, well, I'll take, a, I'll give you a perfect example. I get these emails from Ann Taylor every day because I like Ann Taylor clothes. Right. And I, they've got great photographs of their clothes and they look good. And I'm like, oh yeah, that, if I just had that one shirt, I would feel so happy. And then it's like, you get it. And it's like, all right, I feel the same. <laughs> I might, it's cute, but it, it doesn't actually bring me the happiness that I um, think it will. I, I, I think it, I think stuff always has that disappointment for me. Right. Stuff With, always does. So recently reflecting on this, when you were talking about this, um, the, what it is that you think you want and how you're going to get it. Like you, That's the the, you order the pie because you think you're going to get the, the orgasm. So there's a, so, so I like to use the word happiness because uh, it's funny because if I'm talking to a male, sometimes they're like, Oh, you know, that happiness isn't the right word. Yeah. It's well being. call it what you want. Okay. But, right. but the reality is nobody ever said, I hope to live an unhappy life. Didn't, does any human say that? So whether no. it's purpose or if there's a better word, but I, I go with happiness because ultimately doesn't everybody want to be happy. Doesn't everybody right. want happiness for their kids? And, and then success is an action, a way of doing, you know, I'm successful in doing an action. You're trying to get happiness is a way of being. So success is a way yeah. of doing happiness is a way of being. And one thing that I break down and one thing I've been studying a lot of, and it's, I call it the happiness factor. Okay. So you can ask yeah. somebody, so let's go back to those people that say to me, I want what you're having. Cause right now I'll say, what's your happiness factor? In this state of time, not, not euphoria of, oh, I just, you know, in the moment, but in this period of your life, how happy are you? And, you know, it's a six, it's a five, it might be great. It might be an eight, but they want to get it up to a 10 because they think if I had this, it would be, you know, right, right up there, right, right. which is unrealistic anyway, because nobody is for, for an extended period of time because we are humans and things happen, right? But- right. I always break it down because the reality is, so how that factor works in its most simplistic sense is value times action equals happiness, okay? And so it's the why multiplied. So the val value is why, action is how, and happiness is what, okay? It's what you're getting out of it. Most everybody starts with the what and they try to nail what that what is. And the easy part is, is by looking at other people and saying, okay, I'm going to get a good boyfriend. I'm going to quit my job. They, I'm going to lose 50 pounds. I'm going to buy a new wardrobe. And so what they do is they focus on that what, 
and they're looking at it backwards. You have to start with your why and, and then and making then it a little how. bit deeper. So you unfold, and then what's the best how? You know, my how versus how my kids get there. We're all a little bit different in our best, because you want the how that's your easiest, best, and most enriching path to get there, right? Uh, we were talking before we started this. Uh, so, so here I'll give a, a, a little background for those that are listening. Uh, Amy, who is a learner, had sent me uh, the link to get a ring to get some better lighting for when we do videos. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so I open up my box. Of course, this is back to my how. Oh, what, a half an hour before we start and I'm supposed to charge it first. <laughs> and back to my how, I'm reading all these little instructions and at the end of the day, I'm a visual learner. And so my how, first of all, I have to understand that don't wait till the last minute, number one, because that's a natural inclination. But knowing that my best way is I should have watched the videos and if I watch the videos, I can get, and this is a simplistic example, but my how isn't reading the detailed instructions or doing the research before I found it, you know, until I opened the package for the first time, I had no idea how this thing went together. My husband, the engineer, would have known exactly how it went together, read about it, looked at it and had the thing set up two days before to make sure it worked. So, you know, our hows are a little bit different and it's finding the perfect how to get there, to get the light working right. when it needs to be working and understanding right. our own limitations. So here's my question for you, because this is something I think we all struggle with. Um, you, you called yourself a Pollyanna or your mom calls you a Pollyanna. I'm a bit like that too. Like I try to see the good. I try to focus on the good. And um, so when I'm sharing things with friends, it's typically good stuff. I don't, I don't want to bring people down with bad stuff. You know, occasionally if I feel I need to, but it, it's typically, oh, you know, good stuff. And I think social media is a reflection of that, of this um, people highlighting their good stuff, because usually when people are always highlighting bad stuff, we, um, we would block them or stop reading their post because it's like, oh my gosh, are they complaining again? You know? So having that balance of what you're sharing with people with being vulnerable with what the reality is. And, um, you know, there's, I, I feel like there's a big struggle there. I think there's a huge struggle there. And there's this other, if you picture, like if you picture when I called the happiness factor, value times action equals the what, yeah, it gets yeah. deeper than that. But then picture all these clouds and arrows going all around it because that's the uncontrollable stuff too. Because you can't control right. everything in your life. You can't, it, uh, my, my okay. dad got diagnosed with dementia. My child has a learning that has autism. I lost all my money because the economy sank. You know, there's all these other things that impact that. Almost nobody is going to share those things. They are going to share the health things if they want prayers, you know, or, mm -hmm. you know, they need somebody to, but the, everybody has all those things going on that makes even that action more difficult. And it's called being human because at the end right. of the day, wouldn't we all like, you know, back to that clip in the movie, it's funny, it's cute. Everybody wants the perfect ideal. And sometimes we live in that reality by posting back to social media, posting and sharing only the good things because it, it gives yourself a misconception even of your own life. How right. often do you hear about the, 
and we're going to get into this with parenting because they have it worse than we did because Amy, let's just both say we're both happy. There was no social media when we were our children's age. Oh my gosh. I'm so thankful. <laughs> you know, kids can be mean. You know, I, I, I think of the term and I say this a lot to, uh, young adults, clever can be kind and clever can be cruel. Okay. Yeah. So use it in the right way. You might not even think you're being cruel, but you know, being quick witted, being written, social media is good for that because the people that are followed the most are very clever. They're very, maybe they're very good at communicating, right. but it can be kind and it can be cruel. And, and that's a lesson when you're posting something, you think you're going to, you're saying something, give yourself credit because you're quick witted and coming up with something, but lean on the fact of being kind, not being cruel. And again, right, you know, back to right. Amy and my personalities, yeah. I go off on a tangent. I see people putting their profile picture and it's so filtered from Snapchat that I think they're beautiful the way they are. <laughs> and they have this, and, I, and my heart goes out thinking, you know, you looked great without all the filters and the butterflies and the beautiful eyes. And I know. I'm just going to say, I love the Snapchat filters. My complexion always looks so good. <laughs> but I, I, you know, I wouldn't make that my profile Amy, shot. So, but so just, you know, back to vulnerability. <laughs> I saw when I was doing a, when I was researching Zoom, there's a filter on here. I have many more lines than you're seeing, but there's actually oh. a filter in Zoom that makes you look better on the video or does like a thing. So Oh, uh, that's hilarious. I haven't seen that. I need to find that. Sometimes <laughs> like, when, when I do the video, like with my mom and her sisters, they're like, oh, you look really good, Sandy. I'm like, I swear when I looked in the mirror, I've got, you know, you can see the yeah, yeah. <laughs> more defined in real life. Let me tell you. So talking about these filters and the reality, I'll tell you the story. Uh, one of my girlfriends lived across town here in Omaha and we hung out quite a bit. We had little kids together. This was way back when. And um, but we were across town. So when we were hanging out, we always had to arrange to make sure somebody was home, you know, or, you know, we scheduled our, our visits and play dates and stuff like that. About four or five years in the relationship, we're very close and a house across the street goes up for sale across the street from me. And they looked at the house and she was like, are you okay with us moving across the street? She's like, be really serious. And I'm like, yeah, that's great. But then I like stopped and I paused because I'm like, okay, but here's the reality. If we're now neighbors, that means you'll probably see me in my pajamas now. My house is not going to be clean every time you knock on my door. You know, it was like, okay, the expectation of a straightened and staged and cleaned house, like, because when people are coming over, we tend to pick up Right. And we tend to get out of our pajamas. We'll put our hair in a ponytail. Totally. We'll, we'll freshen up ourselves. We'll make sure the kids are cleaned up a little, at least out of their pajama. You know what I mean? There was like right. this whole circus of events that would happen before I knew they were coming, but being a neighbor and being able just to knock on the door anytime completely changed the dynamic. She's lovely. We're still really good friends. Um, that vulnerability and being fully visible really changed our friendship for the better. Like there were no more, um, you know, my kitchen was a mess sometimes when she came over and my dishes weren't done. And there was still that full acceptance 
and that full acknowledgement of, hey, we're normal. We're all the same. We're all doing the same stuff, which was a real growing experience for me because I had never really had, um, I don't think I had ever really had a friend like that, that saw, that's dropped in and saw the full me and all the vulnerabilities. So you just brought up, you, you just made something go off in my head here a little bit. The yeah. word vulnerability, because people get really hung up when I say it really, the core to everything is value. Vulnerability goes with value because value isn't here are my values. And if I stick close to my values, it's all good because guess what? Life is not a solo sport at all. Right. Sorry. Right. You are, even if you try to make it a solo sport, it is not. And part of happiness is being valued, valuing yourself for who you are, valuing others, you know, whether you call it gratitude and all that comes down to the other V of vulnerability because it's real, you know, valuing others isn't liking right. every post they put on Instagram or snap or uh, do you like on Snapchat? No, I think you chat on Snapchat. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> like on Facebook, it's not that, it's yeah, what yeah. you talked about with your friend. Now it's TikTok. It's TikTok. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's valuing each other, but part of it's being vulnerable. And those are the most lasting, deep friendships that lead to whether it be your significant other, your circle, your family, it's truly valuing each other for who you are, allowing yourself to be vulnerable and understanding each other's values, whether they may be different at the same, but that's the core to getting to the end point, right? Yeah, it's, totally. it's, it's those relationships, but vulnerability goes hand in hand with value because that's truly valuing a human for who they are and, and yourself. Yeah. You've got to be, you got to take yourself and say, valuing others and being valued. You also have to understand what it is that makes you unique and what brings you to the table too, because we're all different. We're all a little bit different and that's right. okay. Right. And it's a good, you know, um, going back to, uh, things being staged and looking good for whatever pictures or for people coming over. One of the things I started um, after Susie moved in across the street, I started realizing how good it was to see her house a mess because it gave me permission to not feel like my house had to be messy. And so I always started saying, okay, if my house is messy, that's, um, making people more comfortable with themselves. So I was kind of like, I'm gonna make people feel better about themselves by having my house be not perfect. And so it started carrying over to where when people were coming over, you know, I used to be like frantically cleaning and I'd be like, you know what? I'm gonna let things be dusty because then everybody else will feel better about how clean their house is. So I started giving my permission, myself permission to not have this perception of perfection. You made me think of something. And again, back to off track, but it's a good, it goes hand in hand with what you just <laughs> said. So when, and we're going to have to go back to a movie. And if you haven't seen it, you could look up Wikipedia. I think it actually got best movie back in the day, like 15 years ago, but it was called A Beautiful Life. And what it was actually in subtitles, but I love subtitled movies. It keeps me focused and I, they're oh. usually really good. Mm -hmm. But is this Italian? Was it Italian? Uh, yes. Was it Benito? Yes. yes. And, and what it was yes. about for those listening is the bottom line was it was a father 
and actually his wife, and I think she died right away, if I remember right. But it was yeah. a father and a son in a Nazi concentration camp. And the father created this whole story so that the son believed, back to staging, that the son believed that they were on a circus train. And don't look out the window because you're going to see the giraffes. And he would describe things. And the whole time they're in this concentration camp, the father depicted this beautiful life for this very small child and made him believe that they were part, and I hopefully I'm getting the story right, I'll have to look back, but he basically yeah. created this world that his son had, had no idea they were in a concentration camp, that they had a, he thought they had a beautiful life and they were part of the circus or part of a traveling team. And so where this comes into play is when I was going through my divorce, my counselor, who is an amazingly smart man, um, my boys at the at that time would have been, uh, oh gosh, somewhere around this. I think they were 8, 11, and 15, somewhere around there. The youngest was yeah. 8, if I remember right. Anyway, his advice to me, back to Pollyanna, is he said, you're not doing your kids any favors. He said, you have homework this weekend. Right. Because he heard how I was talking, what I was doing. He said, I want you to watch the movie a be beautiful life. And we're going to talk about it because that's what you're doing for your kids is you're sheltering them. I was basically creating this beautiful life that nothing bad was happening in the sidelines, that never to see me vulnerable. Everything was going to be, not only was it going to be okay, it was going to be better. And I staged this whole life for my kids. And that was kind of my whole purpose was to make them believe that nothing bad was going on and that their lives, we leave a beautiful life and bad things don't happen. And we got this figured out. I remember watching the movie, that was my homework. And I came back and he said, you're not doing your kids any favors, okay? It was a great movie, this is what you're doing. And they're yeah. not gonna know how to get out of it. It's better for them to see their mom. It doesn't mean I need to be a mess and crying, but he said, they need to see their mom vulnerable. They need to see that these things happen, bad things happen in life. And this is how we're going to get through it, that you're a new family. You can't pretend nothing is going on because that's what you're right. doing. And it was a great lesson. And right. I think about what you're saying with staging. I was staging my life and my kids on how right. I wanted that to look. And I was doing none of us any favors by doing that. Right. So, and I think, you know what, you, I could go on a whole tangent about this with children because- right. A lot of times we um, want to protect our kids and that's, and we think we're protecting our children by doing exactly what you did. So what you were doing was very well intentioned, but just wasn't enabling the kids to learn from what you were going through and what and they I'm not were teaching them. It's okay to be not, vulnerable because maybe right, like the exactly. oldest probably knew, right, Amy. And then he's right. like, we don't, we don't, we're not, a, you shouldn't act as an adult, like things are bad right. or, yeah, yeah. So it was yes. good advice. There's and so much to go into that. So yeah, that's really good advice. I like that. <laughs> I'm listening to your counselor too. Um, so we had some good questions that came in on this yeah, topic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you want to, let's talk through some of these because this was a good one. How has your perception of real happiness changed from your 20s, 30s, 40s to your 50s? So I thought about go this. First. Go first. I know, okay. So perception of happiness in my 20s. It's interesting. When we moved a couple of years ago, I came across my goals. In college, we had to really? write our goals. What was very interesting to me was 
I wanted a house. I, I wanted a car. Now, I was a poor college student when I wrote this. So my perspective was happiness was going to be all this stuff. I don't even know if I wrote marriage and family. Don't remember that. But it was a lot about the house, the car, um, to be a professional, making money. Like that was my um, perception of what would make me happy. Right Now, so in my 20s, interesting enough, um, that's what I did. I started acquiring stuff because I started making money. I was like, oh, let's buy a house. Oh, I can get a car. Oh, I can get all this furniture. Oh, I can have a decorator do my house. It was like this whole journey of acquiring stuff. Right, right. <laughs> Which has been a complete shift. Like, you know, now in my 40s, that shift happened of away from the stuff. Um, in my 30s, my perception of happiness, like I was in the throes of having children, little children, my perception of happiness was having quiet time, me time. That was happiness. And that brought me happiness. So uh, yeah, over the years, it's interesting when I look at the decades, how much my perception of happiness has changed. How about yours? So, you know what? what's funny, and it's fun to hear yours because there's a lot of similarities, but what's interesting is back to, we talk about social media now. I lived in oh, a yeah. small town and I loved, like I always loved clothes and the whole idea of being a businesswoman and having a briefcase yeah. back in the day. And so when I was in my twenties, part of it is you don't know what you don't know, but I used to always look at the Spiegel catalog. I don't even know if that's a thing anymore. Oh, and I'd pick yeah. out all oh, these <laughs> outfits and I'd ear nose. And I mean, I actually, I want to tell you like 20 years ago, I had saved every Spiegel catalog and, you know, I was going to have the writing books. And so I had all these visions that had to do with this look I wanted. And um, I wanted the corporate job. I wanted to live in the city. I had all these visions of what that me looked like, which is funny because if we would have had social media, that's probably how I would have find myself. And it was all about working my way up in the firm, you know, getting the job, wearing the suits, you know, and those were suits back in the day. I mean, we had, I remember little tie mm -hmm. neck things, right. nylons, the whole bit. Um, but it was, yeah. I tell you, my twenties, my happiness was filling that look, being that person I wanted to be when I was the high school girl in the small town. And, and I was also really big on making sure that if I got a promotion, that my small town paper got the, that every promotion had a picture and I wanted everybody to know, look at me, look at me. And it was about yeah. kids and then it was really about, and I, gosh, is my life around clothes? Then I started to, <laughs> I wanted to be like my mother, you know, the perfect mom, all the things. And then I wanted to impress my mother that I was being a younger version of her, doing all the things, the play dates, the people, the right friends, the play groups, but it probably revolved more around having the perfect family. So I went from having the perfect career and being the girl who was successful to having the perfect family. And then 40s, again, I got divorced when I was like 40, yeah. 42 maybe. Um, it changed to what's that. That was a defining moment for me because then it said, what the hell are you doing? And I really did a what the hell are you doing moment and what do you want to do? 
what do I want my life to look like? And I got really caught up in purpose and I looked at life differently, but it was that defining event that changed me. And I don't know what that would have looked like if I didn't go through the divorce. I probably would have really been into what, you know, we started to really get into country clubs and golf leagues and we drank too much and hung out with, you know, we planned trips with all the other families and we got into kind of a higher level of family where it was more entertaining the adults too. And and in retrospect, I think we kind of ignored the kids a little bit (laughs) because that kind of falls into that. You think you're creating this big event, but uh, that kind of happened early on and then my focus changed. So I think I realized the orgasm was fake then. And then now I'm in my fifties and I think a lot about aging now. I think a lot about dignity and end of life. I think a lot about- Isn't that interesting? Yeah. You know, um, just a little side note, my dad passed away suddenly when he was 60. Really? And when I turned 50, which was this last August, (laughs) I'll be 51 this August. I had a moment of, oh my gosh, uh, let's just say I only have 10 years left. And I'm going to say that little, that 50 was a mind shift for me because I was like, how do I want those last 10 years to look like? Because do I want it to be exactly what it's been all of this time or is there something I can do to make it better? These, if, if this is my last 10 years, which we never know how much time we have, you know, I just want to make sure I'm being very intentional about how I'm spending my time, what I'm spending my money on, how I'm taking care of myself. Like all, it just all became way more intentional. So that's awesome. Anyway. I mean, I know. It's, so it's, it's these life events yeah. that do some people plan on I'm going to live till 100 so I've got all the time in the world and as we know if there's something we all have in common is we're all going to die and we have no idea when and how and I'm not obsessed with dying but I think about it a lot with aging parents and I don't know it's uh let's just say it is interesting how you look at life differently as you get older because you don't know what you don't oh completely life events can define you and uh, uh, and make you change the way you think.